Welcome to the Today's Market Explained podcast, hosted by Brian Castle. Brian has been a financial advisor for over 35 years and is the founder of Four Star Wealth in Chicago. He will be sharing the most important investment opportunities out there in ways that are easy to understand and hopefully even easier for you to benefit from. Brian will also be interviewing subject matter experts who can give insights into new and exciting investment opportunities. To see all the best video highlights from every episode, please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Now, on to the episode. Welcome back, everybody, to uh, the Today's Market Explained. And we are having our first show for the year of 2024. We're going to recap. 2023 and then talk about what we see out there and what we think is going to happen hopefully this year we don't do predictions but uh we're going to just give some probabilities on what can happen uh i'm brian castle your host and i'm here with chris reardon chris uh, welcome to the podcast thanks brian and uh you know welcome everyone to 2024 glad to be here and uh talk a little bit of a recap of 2023 and kick us off for the new year well and chris of course for those of you who are new chris is our four-star development director, director of development. He's the master of all portfolios and recruiting and investing. And he leads the whole team that does all that work. He's from Cleveland, loves his Indians. And he's the uh, father of three young baby, baby, baby children. It's amazing. <laughs> so welcome. Welcome. Thank you. I'm Brian Castle. I'm the founder of Four Star uh, and uh, Eagle Scout, uh, Boy Scout National Foundation trustee. Uh, I'm an advisor to CEOs and insiders, and I'm the chief dad to Quinn and Evan and, and husband of the amazing Tripti, my wife, and uh, we're proud to be here with you today on the podcast. So um, again, for this year, um, if anybody who hasn't given us a rating, give us a five out of five rating on Apple iTunes, because that the ratings really help us. They help us uh, get noticed by the public. We're getting a lot of... Uh, sponsorship now on this on this podcast series so we appreciate you giving us a five out of five um we're going to start out talking about the markets and mostly in the markets for this year talk about the economy and talk a little bit about other interesting things for 24. so chris uh, where do we stand on the tug of war between the different asset classes and what's working right now as we start the new year yeah, so, I mean, it was a little bit of a continuation of the trend we saw towards the end of 2023, um, which, if you guys remember on our last podcast, we had talked about uh, domestic equities overtook uh, that number one position, uh, and it, ca- it carried that momentum forward uh, and actually gained 21 points and still retained that number one spot uh, from the last podcast, and it's at 298 now, so it's, it's threatening to break into the 300s from a tally point perspective. Um, so, you know, that's solid there, uh, and rational equities overall has just kind of been relatively, uh, stalled out. It has gained slightly up gained four points. Uh, it's just kind of held in that number two position. That's at 252 tally points. Uh, the biggest loser really was commodities. So commodities continued to fall. It shedded 16 points, uh, from the last podcast. It's at 208 now. So it's threatening to drop out of the 200. Uh, potentially fall into the uh, 100s. Uh, the number four position, which is cash still, it dropped 10 points uh, since the last podcast is about 147. So uh, we kind of have the one and two positions continue to gain strength uh, where the number three and four positions uh, continue to uh, fall back. 
Uh, and fifth is currency still is at uh, 99 tally points and was equal from the last podcast. And then uh, sixth is fixed income. Uh, and there was at 82 tally points equal on the last podcast as well. So not a whole lot of movement in the bottom of our asset class rankings, but the top four, there's a lot of movement and it's really the top two are pulling away from the bottom two is really what we're seeing um, in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So Chris, with the lower asset classes that I call them the scaredy cat asset classes, fixed income, cash and currencies, those are either staying stable or going down. Uh, and there's more action on the risky side, the domestic equities, international commodities, but a shift away from commodities and into domestic stocks, U.S. stocks in general. So we had a very narrow market last year, which we're going to go over, but now the market's broadening out. So as we end 23 and begin 24, U.S. stocks are the strongest right now, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, domestic equities or U.S. stocks continue to be the strongest uh, right now. You will see, um, you know, what 2024 brings. I think for a lot of people, 2023 was a surprise uh, as far as performance of the U.S. market. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of expectation coming into 2024 as far as the, what the Federal Reserve will do. The expectation right now is um, significant amount of rate cuts. Um, and so really, you know, depending on those expectations and if they're met or not, we could see a lot of volatility in the U.S. markets or we could see the market have a pullback. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's how it started out this year. So far, we started out with a thud. Uh, the Dow is actually a little bit positive right now, but up only three points, three. So it's uh, up 0.01%. The other benchmarks are down. So we're not seeing a lot of movement right now uh, in the stock market. In the first couple of days, the NASDAQ was down 2%, and the other, uh, other indexes are down, at least in the mid ones. So we started out with a thud. We'll see where it goes from here. Yep. Yeah. And, and the kind of the, the mood, I think, would, has been, it's, it's interesting. We kind of have reverted back to good news is bad news. Uh, so the, a lot of this mood has shifted back to uh, today. We had a jobs report number came out and it was better than expected. Um, and so people look at that and the expectation is if we continue to have a strong jobs market or economic market in general, uh, that the Fed will be less likely to lower rates. Um, so that lowers that expectation and, and the markets kind of take a hit off of it. So uh, we're really in this, this uh, news-driven market right now, heavily news-driven market, uh, as you continue to get more data. Yeah. So so yesterday, last year was a very interesting year. We thought we'd just do a recap. And Chris, you, you compiled this list of different returns. I'm going to put that up on the screen for our listeners. Um, so the S&P 500 officially did 24.23%. Uh, thanks for compiling all this, Chris. But right below that, uh, the S&P equal weighted only did 11.56. So how is that possible that uh, an index calculated as the index, the market cap weighted index is 24, and the S&P equal weight, meaning giving each one of the 500 stocks an equal weighting, only does 11.5%. So that happens because certain names in the index drove the return so much you'd have to be so overweighted in those names to get the index returns. But most investors don't invest that way unless they're actually in the index fund itself. But usually investors will buy 10 stocks and they put an equal amount in each stock or they'll buy 25 stocks and do something similar. 
So most investors invest managing risk in an equal weighted basis, and that would be only 11.5%. So then, then we get into periods of time, Chris, where uh, the investing um, genre is, oh, you can't beat the S&P 500. So why try, right? We've heard that, that in the late 90s, it went that way and other periods of time. But when you look at it and you realize, well, this year was very hard to beat the S&P 500. And to beat the S&P 500, you would have had to have been so overweighted in those names. And we have up on the screen, uh, Chris, you call them that magnificent seven, <clears throat> Amazon, Apple, Tesla, Microsoft, Meta, and Google, up 80, 48, 101, 56, 194, 58%, big, big numbers. So those are the stocks that drove the index. But look at the next column on the right with that magnificent seven Chris did in 2022. How about that? Yeah, I mean, they had a, a terrible year in 2022. Um, people tend to forget that, but Tesla down 65%, Meta down almost 65%, and you know Amazon down 49, uh, Google down 39. So, you know, had a really terrible, bad 2022. They snapped back in 2023, uh, but, you know, people tend not to think we, we tend to have that recency bias, right? So everyone kind of thinks, oh, great, you know, these stocks are killing it. They forgot that in 2022, you know, Tesla did terrible. Uh, and then when you compile both years together, because when you have a terrible year like 2022, um, even though they had a great 2023, you have a lot to dig out of, right? You know, if you dig a hole down, if you, you're going to build up a mound, you got to backfill the hole and then you got to start, you know, building on top of it or putting dirt on top of it. So as you can see that in the 2022 to 2023 compiled, which is the next column, uh, half the stocks were still negative. Um, Tesla being negative 29% really, if you, um, you know, look at those two years combined. Uh, and the best performer was Microsoft up 11%, which was pretty much what the equal weight was up this year too. So, um, you know, it moderates it out. I think those seven stocks have a lot of volatility. Uh, they have that potential for that very high upside, which we saw in 2023. Uh, but with that high upside comes the extreme downside. And uh, some people tend to forget that, that there's, you know, they, they want to be up 80% or they want to be up the uh, 100%, but they're not willing to risk being down 65%. Um, and that's normal. And that's why we diversify portfolios. Uh, and that's, as Brian said in the beginning, that's why most people could, would compare more to return-wise the equal weight. Um, and actually, there's a note below the S&P 500. There was actually a record last year that 72% of stocks on the S&P 500 actually underperformed the S&P 500. So you really had almost three-fourths of the stocks on there didn't do as well as the S&P 500. And you only had a quarter of the stocks that even overperformed 24% return. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And in, in the, the, what you point out is the two-year record for those magnificent seven, only the, only uh, half of them were up. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it, you know, when you put it into perspective, you know, and it, 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 I think this is a great way to frame it because a lot of investors don't realize that. But when you have, you know, like this two extreme back-to-back -back years, uh, especially when you isolate these, these stocks, uh, it really showcases how, you know, that downside digs a hole. And even though we're seeing amazing upside, it, the returns aren't as as 
strong as you would expect when you factor in uh, the volatility that that takes the toll on the downside. Yeah, exactly. So, so if if an investor wants to play a, a narrow list of stocks like that and try to beat the benchmark or try to outperform or be in line with the benchmark, be very very careful. Tesla at one point in 2022 was down over 75 percent, and 65 percent was a rally from the bottom. So things got really really bad. Uh, kind of October, November of the 2022. So if you can't take the heat of the down, you got you can't you can't you know stay in the kitchen, if you will. Uh, so be careful if you trade those kinds of stocks. Most investors don't like. Everyone likes the upside, but most people don't like the downside and the volatility. <clears throat> and certainly, if you're trying to maintain a portfolio uh, without having those kinds of losses, you can't sustain those kind of losses. So we always avoid that. We raise a lot of cash in bet markets as well. We'll get out of names like that, and we'll own them when they're going up. And we did reasonably well this year. Um, beat the equal weighted index by having some of those stocks, but but to to the risk you would take to be in the benchmark, though, you know, we would not do. And now, if you take the money and just buy in the benchmark, fine. But last year the S and P was down twenty percent, and the Nasdaq was down thirty three, and the big techs, as you can see, were down much more than that, forty something percent. So you have to be really careful when you play those. Um, so, um, so what do we look for for this year, Chris? Um, looks like uh, the markets are starting downward. Uh, the market is broadening out, so it's not just those magnificent seven anymore. But um, the Fed, uh, the leading indicators are negative now for almost 20 months in a row, and everyone's predicting at least some sort of a slowdown, and the economy is slowing down, yet the stock market keeps going up. So what does that look like? for going forward, Chris. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of it's going to rely on the Fed. And I think we're looking at the economy. So we're getting kind of the strip of economic numbers coming in. Uh, but I think one thing that you have kind of the initial number that comes out, and that's what gets publicized a lot. But under the hood, uh, things look a, very different. And a great example is actually the number that came out today, the um, non-farm payrolls. Um, you know, we've got the non-farm payrolls and unemployment rate. Well, the unemployment rate stayed the same, I think it was 3.7%, um, which beat expectations. The expectation was for it to move up to 3.8%. It's about a huge beat, but still a beat. Um, the only reason it stayed the same wasn't because people were hiring. It was because 676,000 people left the workforce. So, you know, sometimes there's, you know, th these are numbers they're synthesized down it doesn't really capture in some ways what what's actually going on so uh and i, I think on top of that i think the november and the october uh, hiring numbers were um uh, revised down by a total combined total of seventy thousand. so you know what would that point to you know right now we're having the market down off of a weaker jobs number well if you look underneath it seems like the jobs market tends to be slowing a little bit um you know, what does that mean? I think we could have a more of a slowdown coming into 2024 from the economic side. Um, the, what impact did that have on the, the stock market? Um, yeah, I think if we're going off of the good news is bad news and bad news is good news, uh, people would take that, all right, that the market does slow and get worse, that the Fed might cut rates quicker, maybe more aggressively. And we could see uh, that relay itself into the stock market. Um, but I think the, the big unknown factor is inflation, because if inflation is still high, the Fed can't do that. And, and inflation has come down, 
Um, you know, and I think the last reading we had of the Fed's preferred index, I think of the November reading, it was at 2.7%. So it's approaching that 2%, which is their target. But uh, it was year over year. Um, but there, there's a lot of unknown factors out there. I think oil, you know, we continue to have tensions in the Middle East. Um, the recent news with the tankers, um, that, you know, as much as you think that doesn't impact us, um, shipping costs are going to go up and they have gone up significantly already. Uh, and that's going to get passed on to the end consumer. So some of these things are going to push inflation up, uh, especially in the short term. So we'll, we don't know what the exact impact will be, but I, I think that's the big outlier is if inflation creeps back up into a point where the Fed can't lower rates and we get a, a more of a recession market, then, you know, we could see, we could see some, uh, a tougher market in 2024. We could. Well, and, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, um, optimistic and hopefully hopefully the economy does kick in and we don't have as bad a recession and now the as you said chris the risk is that if the fed keeps um rates you know high high now for a while but if they um are infusing more capital into the banks like they did by expressing that the interest rates are going to go lower they could cause inflation to reaccelerate and inflation Accelerates, then the Fed will not be able to not only lower rates, they may have to raise rates again. That's exactly what happened in the 1970s and the early 1980s when the Fed had hoped inflation would be solved by some of the moves they made of reserve requirements and other moves, and it didn't work. And they had to quickly raise rates. Uh, we we laugh sometimes uh, those who were around back then about you know having a 20% money market, but I actually had a 20% money market at a bank. Rates were so high then it was all designed to choke off inflation. It took many, many years in the 70s and the early 80s to choke off the inflation that was out there because of the oil uh, crisis that happened in the 1970s. So it took a long time. So the Fed is risking that if they, uh, they try to lower rates too quickly. So the Fed has said now, they're thinking they're gonna lower rates three times. Well, the Fed never signaled how many times they're going to lower rates in the past. So now the Fed is very political and they're talking to the public. And, and in some ways it's somewhat detrimental because now they put that out there and the expectation is they're going to lower interest rates three times this year. But what if they don't? Is that what does the market do? The market collapse or, you know, so it creates more issues when the Fed talks all the time. So um, we'll see if, if, uh, if they, if they reaccelerate inflation, then, we're not going to see low interest rates. Um, you know, we we need to see higher interest rates to choke off inflation. So we'll see how it develops, Chris. We'll just keep watching those numbers. We did see a slight uptick in inflation this month. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think it's one of the, the there's benefits and drawbacks to our the, the technology we have, but since we have such readily readily access to information and CDs and everything. Um, you know, it, it, I think it just creates a little bit of extra volatility, at least in the short term within the markets, because, you know, things change day by day, week by week, um, you know, where you have a strong up week, news comes out, strong down week. So we're just getting extra volatility, I think, right now in the markets uh, due to some of this news drip. Exactly. Well, then uh, last year was an interesting year for commodities. I know you put that up. I, I took that off the screen. I'm going to put it back up on the screen. But uh, commodities, there's always something interesting going on. Commodities in the short run are coming down, but gold, after not doing much for a long time, was up 13% last year and, and actually was down 
at one point during the year. So it came down from a down position all the way back up to 13%. Silver was flat. Uh, some of the oil commodities, natural gas and crude were down this year, although they were up big in 2022. You see some other commodities down big, some of the industrial commodities as the economy slows down a little bit. But the big winner of the year, Chris, was? Uh, cocoa. Cocoa, cocoa up uh, 61%. Right. So we had a little bit of cocoa dynamic portfolios. Uh, we had a little bit of gold in dynamic as well, and some in one of the other portfolios. So when we see these trends developing, we'll try to take advantage of them. Uh, but when they're going negative, we'll just get out or go to cash or something like that. But we do have one portfolio that takes advantage of those different commodities. And, it, and it's always, so there's always something interesting going on in commodities based on weather or issues or supply demand or something like that. So anyway, so Chris, it was really quite an interesting year. So um, we'll uh, be hopeful that the market goes up and the economy comes up with it, right? Um, and doesn't doesn't collapse. Everyone's been betting on a collapse and it hasn't happened yet. Um, but uh, but let's hear what's going on in the economy now that might give us some insight into what will happen uh, this year. Chris, you got a whole bunch of numbers on yep. that. Yep. So as I kind of previously talked about, we got today, uh, which is uh, January 5th, we got the non-farm payrolls. Uh, they increased by 216,000 in December, uh, and the unemployment rate was unchanged at 3.7%. Uh, but like I said, when you lift, when you look underneath the hood with these, um, the unemployment stayed unchanged just because uh, 676,000 uh, people left the labor force. Uh, so when you have people leave, even if the jobs, even if we had people that technically left, so maybe we had an uptick. And uh, um, unemployment rate, uh, since people left, it could stay the same. So it doesn't necessarily give us a true, accurate read as far as what's going on in the employment labor market uh, always. Uh, and then the economy um, added 71,000 fewer jobs in October and November. Those numbers were provided down 71,000. So, um, you know, a couple underlying, you know, on the front of it, the, the unemployment numbers and non-farm payroll was good. Uh, but underneath it, I think there's some troubling signs of potentially, you know, what could be coming down the pipeline um, in the future. Uh, on the positive side, average hourly gain uh, earnings uh, were up 0.4%, uh, and now we're up 4.1% year on year. So um, overall, we continue to see average hourly earnings uh, up, which is nice. Uh, the personal consumption expenditures price index, which is the, the Fed's preferred index they kind of look at, it fell 0.1% in November from October. That was the first decline uh, since April of 2020. Uh, so we finally saw that tick down a little bit uh, and prices were up 2.6% uh, on the year. So year over year. Uh, so that was positive to see, like Brian said, uh, in December, we did see a little reversal of that. Um, so if that continues and we see a reacceleration, um, you know, that will have a significant impact in 2024 and, and what the Federal Reserve will do. Uh, and then the last economic number that I'll highlight is existing home sales actually increased 0.8% uh, in November uh, from October. I think that broke a, a five-month trend of, of existing home sales decreasing. Uh, so uh, we finally saw more purchases of existing home sales uh, than the previous month. So it's positive to see. Uh, you know, on the economic front. Going to commodities, uh, OPEC output rose by 70,000 barrels per day uh, in November and December. 
Um, they're anticipating Fed flushes and anticipating cuts in 2024. Uh, but you know we're we're seeing that kind of play out. Uh, we're also seeing some countries leave OPEC, which is really interesting because they want to raise output. They want to kind of be under the scrutiny and standards of OPEC. So we're seeing some of the smaller countries, especially, uh, leave OPEC so that they can you know produce as much oil as they want. Um, so really interesting notes there. Uh, on the international, continuing kind of on that international front, India came out with a forecast of 7.3 percent. Uh, for their 23-24 economic growth, uh, that was higher than anticipated. Uh, that was really good to see. Um, a lot of that was due to uh, government spending. I think it was supposed to be 4%. Um, government spending was is expected to rise by 4% year over year. Compared to the prior year, it was like 0.1%. So uh, we continue to see strong growth out of India, uh, which is promising. It's good to, good to see. Uh, and then the BRICS group, which uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, the BRICS group stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Uh, brand new in 2024, they just added a new group of countries. Um, and these, these countries kind of closely coordinate with, with each other on economic issues, um, international issues. They have a you know, summit, things like that. Uh, but the countries they added were Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates. So uh, it's really interesting that we're getting this block now that includes some of the players that have typically been antagonists to the U.S., Iran, Russia, um, you know, China as of late. Uh, so it's interesting we're getting this kind of separate coalition. Um, and a lot of, I think, what their expectation is to do is to do more transactions in uh, their own currencies, uh, domestic currencies for them, and stray away from the dollar. Uh, a lot of countries are trying to do that, or more and more we're seeing countries, not a lot necessarily, uh, stray away from the dollar because they don't want to be tied to what the Federal Reserve is doing. Uh, so really interesting uh, that we saw the BRICS group uh, add those groups. They still haven't come out with what, what the new moniker will be. Uh, some people have suggested BRICS Plus, but uh, we'll see if they come up with a, a catchy name. Um, the last couple of things I'll, I'll quickly highlight, um, shipping stocks are so far the big winner, as Brian alluded to, um, stocks are mostly muted to down to start 2024, but the shipping stocks are the big winners. Um, as the uh, Iranian-backed Houthi militants in Yemen continue to threaten the Suez Canal, uh, it's causing shipping companies to have to divert going around um, Africa uh, and add about 10 plus days of travel time. So. Uh, with this, we've seen uh, Asia to Europe shipping prices nearly double uh, in the last since uh, mid-December. So really, in the last less than the last month, last three weeks, we've seen price shipping prices double, uh, and uh, Maersk shares are up uh, 17% uh, this first week of the year alone. And uh, another Hapaloid is another um, shipping rival is up 23%. So um, once again, we could see this lead to higher inflation. At, you know. The shipping costs are higher, that's going to just go into the cost of the end good. And that's ultimately going, going to be sold. So the companies will just raise prices to, to cover that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out with that. Uh, I did see today that uh, Maersk actually came out and said that for the near future that they expect to be diverting around um, Africa, which, you know, it could A, cause um, some delays in uh, supply chain issues potentially. Um, and certainly is going to add uh, prices. So that, that could impact inflation in 2024. Uh, and then the last, 
the last thing I'll, I'll mention to highlight real quick is the FDA approved the world's first CRISPR gene editing uh, drug. It's for sickle cell disease. But uh, in my, my opinion, this is great news. I think it's in some ways kind of scary. You know, you talk about gene editing, uh, therapeutics, but I think it's promising uh, what it could offer uh, as far as uh, hopefully cures or or therapies or solutions to, you know, existing health issues such as cancer, things like that. It gives us new methods to, to attack them. So uh, I was developed between Vertex and CRISPR. So um, I think that's hopeful going into 2024, what that could bring. Excellent. Well, thank you, Chris, for that, all that update. You know, the couple of comments on that, there's some interesting things about uh, the wages, you know, um, since the pandemic, when um, you know wages have been going down, a lot of people lost their job. So we haven't seen wages going up very much. Uh, and then the prices were higher, obviously, because commodities were restricted. So some of that stuff's coming down. So this is the first time in a couple of years that we saw the hourly wage numbers go above personal consumption numbers. So, so a lot of wage uh, prices are kicking in. That's positive for workers. It's also negative in some ways, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, you mentioned about how India is doing better than China. Essentially, uh, the Chinese uh, have developed a very aggressive stance politically and in much of the world. And so a lot of people are moving out of China because they're scared of China. China controls uh, companies when they're in China and companies don't want to be part of that. So they may have taken it a little bit too far. I mentioned this in our last episode. They may have taken it a little bit too far in the political side. So people are uh, making decisions to take their companies out or the manufacturing out of China, moving to India. That's a big reason why India and the other parts of Asia are doing so much better. And I love the, the, the shipping stocks are doing better. Part of it has to do with supply because they're cutting off supply and there's a lot of tension around the world, but the stocks do better during that period of time. Uh, but ironically, Chris, shipping of people, which is one form of shipping, uh, cruise lines are doing really well. Carnival and Royal, um, uh, we saw the CEO of Royal Caribbean Cruises yesterday on CNBC, they're doing very, very well. So um, a lot of interesting things and you know the unemployment rate stays low, but as you mentioned, uh, it's a little bit uh, sad though that people are leaving the workforce, 676,000 people that leave the workforce. So the labor force participation rate goes down and that means there's less people to be productive, less people to pay taxes, to support our national debt, all the other things. So we want people to be in the labor force, not out of the labor force. So if we have a lower unemployment rate, um, because of that, that is okay, but it'd be better if those people were in, in the labor force, but that would raise the unemployment rate, obviously, if they don't have a job when they get back in. And usually as the economies recover, we'll see the unemployment rates rise. And as people raise their hand and say, I want a job, and then, then they bring up the numbers of people looking for a job that don't have one uh, at the beginning parts of a recovery. And so, so we might even see an unemployment rate go up, and that might actually be a sign of positive things, meaning the economy is getting better, so people are raising their hand and getting back in the, in the labor force. So um, interesting. So, um, and thanks for your uh, FDA approval there, Chris. Uh, some other new uh, things for uh, 2024, I mentioned... Uh, some of the wage increases were caused by governments forcing minimum wage to go higher and such. Well, in California, uh, Pizza Hut told 1,200 delivery workers to drivers that, uh, that by the end of um, by the end of the quarter, uh, first quarter, they'll probably lose their job. 
and they're going to get out of delivery because they're requiring $20, $20 an hour for um, delivery people starting in April in California. So, so that's not a necessarily a positive thing. Uh, it's good for those workers that have a job, but if they put people out of work, and that's when government gets a little crazy and they do things, they don't think about the consequences of that. So they're putting people out of work by raising the wage. Government essentially has gone too far. Uh, nothing illegal. They didn't do anything wrong. Governments can make those decisions, but then they also uh, hurt their own tax base by putting people out of work. Uh, so that's that's what we're seeing. Uh, if anybody remembers the 1996 telecom bill that was created by Congress, and they forced companies to pay more money, and they forced the current carriers to um, offer service below market prices and lose money. Well, eventually that all didn't work either. Government can make decisions, but they if they make uneconomic decisions that don't support the economy, well, then they actually cause more harm to the economy than good. And that's what they did with the 1996 telecoms bill. That's what they did with these recent wage bills, I believe. So hopefully government figures it out. Uh, but certainly people will then move to other industries, they'll move to other states perhaps. And that's, I guess, the competitive nature of capitalism in a 50 state economy, Chris. There we are, right? Um, no, it's very, yeah, very true. And I think it's, it's an interesting note with uh, Pizza Hut because, you know, you see that and these companies just, you know, they're, they'll make their financial decisions on the bottom line. And I've also seen one strategy I think some of them have used is they discount the pizza significantly if you come and pick it up, right? Because then they don't have to have the truth delivery drivers. So um, they're figuring out ways to kind of um, to mitigate it as much as possible, um, you know, and you know, unless if you would just let the free market, you know, rule um, overall, you know, if a lot of people order pizza and delivery drivers are in demand, they'll wait, their wages will go up. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and, and because of taxation and because of local policies in the states, the states that are seeing the largest um, percentage of out migration are, of course, California, uh, Illinois and New York. And uh, interestingly, the number one in migration state in America as a percentage of their population is the state of Maine. Uh, we have a new client up in the state of Maine, so we were having that conversation just yesterday. So um, people do move, people do move with their feet. Lots of, lots of Northerners are going to Florida and Texas and Alabama and other states like that where the tax policies are better. And sometimes the weather's better too, right? So people will move around and then eventually course corrects uh, when things get bad in one state and hopefully that state will figure it out and they'll adopt new policies, maybe elect new leaders that have better vision to do things right. So um, anyway, there we are, Chris. Um, one other thing in, in, in the what we see out there I wanted to mention, um, there, there's a, a, a lawsuit against Apple by Massimo, an entrepreneur named Joe Chiani, uh, who created a pulse oximeter, a measuring oxygen levels uh, in the blood. And that's part of the Apple Watch. And it even got to the point that the Apple Watch had to stop selling for a couple of weeks until they could get the uh, pulse oximeter out of the Apple Watch because of the lawsuit. And so um, this is an example of large companies being able to take advantage of the legal system that they'll steal, um, they'll steal intellectual property from a company that they said they were going to buy it from. And then they use the legal system to fight them and to, uh, you know, because it costs literally millions of dollars to fight their big company because they can use all kinds of legal procedures and everything. That's what's going on with Apple. Anyway, so this gentleman, uh, Kiani, had two, two other companies as well that tried to steal his um, intellectual property, and he won two big settlements. So 
So unfortunately, our system is still set up where uh, the big firms have lots of power and money and they have lots of lawyers and they can use the legal system to bankrupt small entrepreneurs. So that's probably something that needs to change in America. And hopefully, hopefully that does happen. But um, we are very positive about this year. Hopefully the economy does not correct as badly as some people are expecting. And maybe, 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 Chris, that the October of 22 bottom after the market did crash that year will hold and the economy won't tank and the markets won't tank. Um, if, the, if all those things do go south, then naturally we might have a sell off. We're about 30% above uh, the October 22 lows. So let's hope that we hold those lows. And even if we have a correction in the market, that it's just a correction if we don't break to new lows past October of 22. Uh, so that seems to be the most likely scenario. But if things do break bad in the economy, much worse than people are expecting, uh, then obviously uh, the market lows would probably break and we you know, have a full-blown recession and a full-blown market correction. So we'll see. So that's what we see out there. Um, don't forget everybody to look on the um, four-star website for the blogging that is being done and the leadership matrix. We have a, a couple of very interesting blogs about new things for 24. So go up there and fourstarwealth.com and on our website and see the different blogs, the color stocks, blogs, and the others. Uh, and I think that's all we have for today, Chris. Yep. Yeah. I think, I think it's a good uh, start to 2024 and we'll, we'll see what it brings. So very strange year in 23. We'll see what 24 brings and uh, everybody manage the risk out there and manage, manage what risks you can take. And let's hope we have a great year in 2024. So why don't we leave it there, Chris? Okay. Bye-bye everybody. Thanks. Uh, welcome to 2024. We'll be back again with another episode and another interview on the Today's Market Explained. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way you can support us is to leave a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And if you heard something here that someone else you know will find value from, please share the episode directly with them. Want us to answer your investing question directly on the next episode? Go to todaysmarketexplained.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom and submit your question. Please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube to see the best moment video clips from every episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and keep on growing out there, everyone.